Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals episode 25 with your hosts, uh, Alex and Ben. It's the first time I've like anticipated that coming. 25 episodes. <laughs> Uh, and we're very excited to have two returning guests. Uh, we have Nate. <laughs> Howdy. And Oliver. Hey, thanks for having us. This is a struggle of an episode to get through. Not like, I enjoy it uh, a lot more than I did when I was younger. And I don't know, some of the dialogue, if you sit and dissect it, it does have a lot of meaning to it. But I'm glad to have two astute and attentive people <laughs> to <laughs> take a look at it with us. Nate, how is your life going? Uh, how's your comic book group going? Have you guys made any progress on anything? Uh, I know you work in security. Was it crazy for election week? Comic side, I'm no longer with the group that I was working with before. So I'm, I'm going full solo. Cool. I have issue one of the comic I'm working on now, like done. I just have to like oh, edit it a little bit. I've had a few people like read over it and like check it out. And so far I'm getting like good reviews, but I want to go over it again before I start again. Security side, uh, shit was wild. I can't go into details. <laughs> uh, had a, <laughs> and uh, the past, like, actually the past two weeks, I've been, it's been all work and very little play for me. You can imagine. And Oliver, how is your life going? Uh, how are your crops coming along? <laughs> um, they're doing quite well. I actually have one that's almost ready for harvest. Um, <gasps> probably, I'm thinking next week, I'm going to have something that's ready to cure and dry. And that's going to be another, an additional two weeks. Oh, it's wow. not going to be a whole lot but i'm excited because the plant is just it's beautiful so how do you how do you know when it's uh when it's done so the plant gives all kinds of signals of whenever it's ready so the trichomes they look like little mushrooms and they start out clear and then they turn amber as the plant is getting closer to being ready and then finally they take on sort of a cloudy look that's when you want to cut them because that's when it's uh most potent i had no idea so there's like if you leave it too long it'll uh reduce impotency Whoa. <laughs> Is this going to inspire you to move on from pea pods, Alex? <laughs> Absolutely. I've got the space now. I can do things inside. Why not? Honestly, um, yeah. And I encourage everybody to do it. Anyway, sorry. Very cool. No, you're great. Uh, <laughs> What's the uh, Pen Pen Pals pea pod pod update? <laughs> uh, they're quite strong, but we had not a torrential downpour, but a lot of heavy rain. And so some of them got knocked off of the scaffolding and I had to replace them. Some of the stalks have snapped, not completely. So we're, I'm hoping that the upper reaches of the plant will stay alive uh, now that they're reset on the supports. But if they're going to flower before frost, then it's gonna happen in the next like two weeks. Yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully I'll have a pea pod to actually have before we end this uh, season. How about the Pem Pem Pals podcast update? So I did listen yesterday to this episode of the podcast Decoder Ring. So it's a Slate podcast. And it's kind of like deep dives into different cultural things. So this one was about the history of uh, the mullet. You know, uh, business at front party at the back. And like the word the mullet, where there's no recorded usage of it before 1994. Which is weird because like mullets had been a haircut for for such a long time. So it's kind of like this like mystery investigation. There's all these people that like swear that they were like using the term like in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, you'd think it would show up somewhere. Yeah, spoilers, the Beastie Boys might have invented the term mullet. What? (laughs) Gotta check that out now. And probably just go over a bunch of Beastie Boys songs. Last time on, Touched by the Last Angel, Asuka wallows in the pits of apathy and depression in a mysterious tub. The fifth children, Kawaru Nagisa, was sent by Seal, ostensibly to replace Asuka as pilot of Unit 02. Shinji and Kawaru struck up a friendship with a protosexual flair, in spite of, or perhaps because of, the suspicions of the rest of Nerve. Ritsuko's relationship with Gendo broke down, thank goodness, but she fails to reconcile with Misato. Kawaru let Shinji stay at his apartment overnight, and they engaged in cryptic, yet surprisingly normal, teenage late-night conversation. After a clandestine meeting with the SEAL Council, Kawaru took remote control of Unit 02 and descended to the bowels of Nerve's terminal dogma. Shinji launched an 01 to save the world from Third Impact, but was as surprised as Kawaru to learn that the being beneath Nerve is in fact not Adam, but its celestial counterpart, Lilith, progenitor of all humankind. 
Under the unwavering gaze of an awoken Rei, Kaworu asked Shinji for the gift of death, and after a long last moment together, Shinji complied with the wishes of another, yet again. Will Shinji open his heart ever again? Can any of the personal relationships ever flourish? Does this story need any more giant monster fights? Let's find out. And then uh, episode 25, The Ending World. The human instrumentality project begins and the souls of humanity merge. The Ava pilots confront the nature of their existence as reality dissolves. Pretty good description. I was thinking the same thing. It must have been a bitch to come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, you wanna? Uh, do yeah. anybody have any thoughts before we start, or? Can ben I gotta, I gotta okay, cue cool. this jam real fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah time. Sorry. I was watching Ocean's 13 before this. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I really wish Ocean's 12 was was about like the Zodiac and had nothing to do with another heist. That would have been a really cool take. Like the serial killer, the Zodiac, or just the Zodiac size. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now I want it to be that. <laughs> yes to all of it. Uh, and someone just asked me to the, for the link to the podcast, so I'm going to share that to them right now. Ooh. Shout them out. Oh, our friend Katie. She's super cool. I can't. She got married, so I don't remember what it oh, was. Yeah, okay. Hi, this Katie. says hi back. Yay. Wow. Cool themes. Lot to process. <laughs> I think that's one of the episodes that I always skipped when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a group therapy episode. <laughs> so, what madness is this? Does anybody have any hot takes? What's happening here? Just deep psychoanalysis? Is something actually happening? Is this bizarre framing device. What do we got going on here? Anybody got strong ideas? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd mentioned this before in one of the previous episodes. I feel like it's just a huge dissociative feud. Okay. Whenever you get stuck in your own head and like you're you're fighting with that internal voice and it's like you're useless. Nobody likes you. And then at the same time, you're grappling with these existential ideas of like if I die, nothing matters. It's 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 nihilistic as well so it's like nothing matters and i don't want to die and you know i think that's pretty common for a lot of people especially teenagers when you really don't have a solid concept of identity mm. and it's fragile for a lot of people and i feel kind of like that's what they're saying for these kids so, well i don't really have a purpose except to do this and if i don't have my own purpose then i might as well just die so so the last episode we ended at the lake Shinji is feeling guilty talking to Misato about killing the last angel. I forget that guy's name. Kaoru? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we kind of like begin there and then we have like Shinji has like his weird mind thing. But then like halfway through the episode, it's just like the instrumentality begins. And like, <laughs> you know, like it was just like Gendo like talking to Ray, And then I don't know, I, I kind of wish like something had happened. Like I wish... I don't know, there was some weird like ritual scene where they were like, finally, now that all the angels are gone, we can like do this thing that we've been like preparing for. But there wasn't that. It was just like all of a sudden everyone's in darkness and like we see like dead Misato. Mm -hmm. Was any of that real? Or was that like something hypothetical that could have happened? Like I'm still really confused on whether what I saw was like real, like like what you were saying, Masato uh, on the ground dead. And I guess Ritsuko too. Ritsuko like laying mm -hmm. in that pool of, I think that's the fluid that Lilith like pours out. Was any of that real? Like did that actually happen? I think so. So if that happened, then is the Shinji Lake stuff, is that not real? Is that in his head? he's there with Masato. I think everything is real, but it depends on like what the experience is. Like I think right. that Misato and Ritsuko were killed by Gendo, but their physical form doesn't matter anymore. We're in instrumentality. And yep. yes, 
Like the series does not give us, like you said, a ritual. We don't get a hard process of how this happened. But instrumentality is underway. Like people's physical forms no longer matter. Humankind is no longer, may not even be inhabiting the physical realm anymore. And so what little we know about instrumentality, which we've had a couple of lines alluding to like all human souls gathered together, I think we're in a completely mental or spiritual state now. You know, one thinking about that would be everything returned to the void, but the other would be a gestalt consciousness. I know it's kind of a cop out. No. The jumping can be very confusing and the kind of esoteric language can be really confusing. But I think that's at least how it was imagined that a, an experience like that would be confusing. It would be like a drug trip yeah. because you'd be like weaving in and out of other people's thoughts and narratives. So, so it's kind of like we as the viewer are having the experiences of the characters where like, all of a sudden we stopped being like people and now we're just like in this weird trippy we're sharing the same like consciousness like, yeah state yeah and it's almost like for anybody who's taken hallucinogens it's almost like at some point you think oh that was weird oh right and you have to think back like oh i took drugs <laughs> like this isn't just how reality is this isn't just how i feel and so that may have been like little or no explanation at the beginning of the episode. That may have been the plan as well to be like, no, 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 don't give them any starting off point. It's like you're dropped into yeah. a trip. It's like, we're here. This is happening. Like process it. Yeah. 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 I see how people like had trouble with this episode or, mm-hmm. or how like Evangelion just ends in general. You're not sure what's going on. Like this is my third time watching this episode and I'm still not sure what I just watched. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> I think my notes for the beginning of the episode was like, all right, we're we're here with Shinji. He's trying to convince himself that what he did was cool, like killing Kaoru, but really, <laughs> you killed that kid. <laughs> like, and that was it. I was just like, okay. Yeah, and I guess we could imagine that third impact did happen, or I don't know. No, that doesn't make any sense. Wasn't stopping Kaoru was, was was what was supposed to stop the third impact? Like, wasn't he about to cause it? Well, supposedly, but that's if he could get in contact with Adam. And it turned out what was beneath Nerve was not Adam. It was Lilith. So him to come into contact with that, it wouldn't reawaken Lilith because Kawaru has Adam's soul inside of him. Yeah. Whereas now we know, at least implicitly, that Ray Lilith's soul is inside of Ray. Just like Adam and Lilith are two distinct seeds of life, the reunion of their soul to their body, either of them could be the third impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what triggered this? It's like Ray was reunited with Lilith or what? But I guess if it was just that, like why why did they have to wait to kill the last angel? Man, that's a good one. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sure how to how to process it. Like, Should we have taken hallucinogenics to yeah. watch this? <laughs> <laughs> now that's another idea. Fun fact about uh, hallucinogens in Japan. So, I mean, Japan, you know, it's island nation, really strict drug laws. Weed is, like, pretty illegal. Like, you tell someone there, like, you do weed, and they're like, oh, have you done heroin? And you're like, not <laughs> the same. But... Magic mushrooms were legal there until 2002. Oh, oh, lame. <laughs> Just when I was old enough to start taking them. <laughs> and I am, I am curious, like, you know, if people like Ano and like, I feel like there is a lot of like trippy art out of Japan, but I like have heard very little about kind of like the psychedelic culture. I'm very curious about that. Okay, so the animation is a lot of it's recycled and any new stuff is very minimalist, but they did do what they could to try to spice up the stuff that they had, right? Like we have these distorted, stretched, and psychedelically colored shots of Shinji at one point. Yeah, where it's like describing his emotions, like anxiety and and, and fear. I wish they would have mixed it up a little bit because they used the same one each time. And I was like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. change it. Like use a different one, you know what I'm saying? I see what you're trying to do, yeah. <laughs> just mix it up a bit. You know, one thing I have to comment on, it's what I thought was interesting, the three women. So you're talking Ray, Asuka, mm-hmm. and um, Misato. 
and I don't know really where I'm going with this, but the fact that it's essentially boiling down to daddy issues. I think it's parental issues in general. No. Though there does seem to be a focus on daddy issues, maybe because Anno has daddy issues, or maybe more people on the creative team had that as opposed to mother issues. But like Asuka's, yeah, her dad sucks super bad, but her yep. focus of her trauma is her mother, right? She's got her biological mother who did this contact experiment which caused her to go insane and eventually led to her own suicide so she's been abandoned by her biological mother but she also is abandoned emotionally by her surrogate adopted mother at its onset right we get that one conversation which has a shot of asuka and i don't know if we're supposed to infer that she's overhearing her parents talk like that because that's super fucked up that's I super like mega yeah yeah i think uh, it is yeah are these kind of like memories or like you know i guess with, especially with the misato scene it's all these people like saying these things to her and it almost feels like her fears about the way people are perceiving her or like the way they would perceive her if they like knew you know these things that she's doing in private or Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of messed up that Ritsuko and uh Asuka like come down on her like pretty hard like you when they (laughs) when they're when they're talking about like you like uh her and uh Kaji like how their relationship is like they're they they come off like really rough on her like about the whole thing it's like shit like very judgy it's like jesus (laughs) yeah there's a lot of that and maybe some of that is in this like unified thought uh experience that i guess human instrumentality is kind of hinted to be the difference between someone else and your perception of someone else those lines blur like really badly. And so much so that in the storytelling, it's really confusing for us because it's hard to pick out. You're like, wait, is this Shinji or is this someone's imagining of Shinji? Even when we get to the end, we get to the the theater space and Shinji, Asuka and Masato appear on stage. And you're like, oh, okay. So they're like performing, being judged. And then boom, Shinji and uh, Masato appear as the audience as well. And you're like, well, why are there two Shinjis? Is there a difference? Uh, is one the performance and one is the like internal experience? Like, Again, what is happening here? I don't even know. <laughs> it kind of came off like everything that was like we were seeing on stage, like everything that's happening. This is Shinji's interpretation of how everyone else feels. Remember mm. how they mentioned before? I think uh, Ray says it to him on the train. There's different yous. There's mm-hmm. one that, you know what I'm saying, Masato sees and one that uh, everyone has their own like different view of you. And I think he was like on the outside looking at what everyone thinks of him or his mm-hmm. view of like everyone, what they think of him and how they like interact with the world. Kind of the feel like it's him on the outside, like looking at them performing this weird, <laughs> this, this, weird yeah. this weird play <laughs> on how he like sees everyone. Yeah. That, that did get me like a trippy thought, which is like, about, like when we talk about like computers simulating people or something like that it's like would that be like conscious like like would there be some consciousness in that simulation an internal experience yeah but but like if our brains are like simulating other people right we have these Mm -hmm. like kind of models of other people in our minds then what if like those are conscious you know well, and I, I don't know if that's kind of like what they mean when they're like, oh, this is like the soul that's me inside of you or whatever, you know, that we've all kind of created these mini consciousnesses within our consciousness to like be these other people in our lives. Like when you have arguments with uh, people you know in your head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That kind of... Yeah. Based <laughs> off of inaccurate perceptions that you have of yourself and of that person because you're going to assume, well, this person thinks negatively of me and so your perception is warped. Yeah. And it's just also how we perceive ourselves is very different from how other people perceive us. So he's sitting there thinking, you know, all these people have these negative perceptions and that's that's just human nature. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um... Ben, you said something about the the people inside of us in our heads having their own internal experience, like their own consciousness, which makes me think of tulpa magic. And like the real dangers of people like manifesting other consciousnesses, other ways of seeing the world inside of their own head and the serious psychological conditions that seem to be manifestations of 
that kind of process, like disassociative identity disorder. And like, I know that's a very serious thing and that's not something that I'm qualified to comment on really, but there's something there. There's a parallel between disassociative identity disorder and tulpa magic, the creation of a separate consciousness that has its own will. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you guys are all here. Okay, so we start with Shinji and he's being questioned by title cards and they're kind of interrogating him about the death of Kawaru, like his, like, or at least O1's killing of uh, the last angel. Mm -hmm. And he's very, I guess, still upset about that. He doesn't know how he feels about killing a friend versus saving humanity. Right. And I wonder who's... Like these title cards, they're questions, they're abstract things, but who are they? If they're questions spoken by someone or typed by someone, who's typing them? And if not, then if they're just thoughts, well, whose thoughts are they? Are they Ano's thoughts? Are they supposed to be our thoughts? Are they supposed to be Shinji's thoughts? Any any thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it's Shinji. Like, I think it's him questioning himself and him trying to justify his own actions. Yeah. Kind of like that internal dialogue that you have, well, is what I did right. Yes. Just kind of second guessing yourself. I agree. That's kind of what I thought too, was that it's just him just like, I did the right thing. Oh yeah. But did I do the right thing? He even at one point, it even like repeats the question over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like even for some of them, like you'll see the question repeated over and over again. Like they don't believe their own shit. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just gonna say like, it, it's, it made me think of when you tell yourself a lie so many times and at first you don't believe it, but the more you tell yourself that lie, the more you start to believe that lie. So yeah. I feel like mm -hmm. he's just rehearsing these answers to the point where he's accepting that as the truth. Oh yeah. Versus Misato, she had her answers, but then ultimately when she just pressed the third time, he's just kind of like, no, never mind. Actually, I'm, I'm lying. So I oh, can't yeah. commit to this. That's mm -hmm. what I love when Asuka like jumps in and is like, nope. You're full of shit, Shinji. <laughs> <laughs> You're like going along with the title cards being like him talking to himself. Then maybe that's like him thinking like, this is what Asuka would tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty accurate. Good job, Shinji. You got that one right. <laughs> yeah. And he, he breaks down from this questioning, which I guess is his own questioning. And he calls out for help. I like that how long they stay on him calling out for like, won't anybody help me? As if, you know, there's no one left to help. Yeah. But he's back at the Lake of Ruin. He's back at that spot that he spoke to Kowaru before and where Misato comforted him before. And there's Misato again, or maybe not Misato, but his idea of Misato. I feel like she... Oh, and, and she uh, uh, reassures him. She He's beating himself up, right? Saying, out of the two of us, if one of us was going to die, I deserve to die because Kawaru was a nicer person as if that has anything to do with who deserves to die or not. Yeah. His idea of Misato and Misato more than any other character represents a maternal figure to him. Like he has confused emotions about her, but more than his mother because she was gone so young, more than Rei because that's not the relationship he has with her. He feels that Masato is the closest thing to a mom that he has. And so of course that's who has at least a believable answer for him about why he should feel better. Saying mm -hmm. that, no, Kawaru actually yearned for death. So you did him a favor. Mm -hmm. And the people who want to die, they're not going to be the ones who strive to survive. And, and so right. that was a scene at the end of last episode, right? This is kind of like recycled footage of that. Not completely. The reflection on the water is different. The animation is different. <laughs> hmm. Mm. I, I think that that, like that thing about like, oh, he was like nicer than me. Like, like I deserve to die. I think, I think we saw that last episode. Oh, I think you're right. I think her response is different though. That's kind of interesting. It's like him misremembering what, she told him by the way Chris that or what he wanted to hear yeah. it's like he's trying to comfort himself wow and i think often when we misremember things we misremember them in the way that we want to hear <laughs> you know? well and a comment on just memory in general right like every time you remember something you get a slightly different version of it like so slightly different that it's imperceptible to you as a person in the moment but over the years as you remember something over and over and over 
you can't trust your own memory of it eventually. You can trust the broad points, but individual details, they're going to slip away and transmute into something else. And then you think that you were saying the word mullet back in the 80s, <laughs> but it didn't even exist. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And then uh, what's his name? Shinji has this vision of himself in like a fogged wood. Shrouded by fog. A land of gray crags, arch trees, and everlasting dragons. Which to me spoke as like a world unformed, like on the edge of creation, something where the boundaries between is and isn't aren't so thick as they are in our existence. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these tree roots or maybe branches or brambles, whatever, sticking up from the fog, but they're gray too. And so the only thing that's like concrete and defined is Shinji, which may be another hint as to the kind of existence and experience we're going into. It also reminded me of, I brought this up before, I think I brought this up in the episode uh, with you before, Oliver, that Miyazaki, not the anime director, the video game director, uh, Dark Souls and Demon Souls and all that, uh, that team from From Software usually plays with the idea of gray fog. Yes, I know what you're talking about, like you, you transition from one area to another especially like a, a new area and it's just shrouded in fog. Yeah. And so those barriers, they're, uh, you know, in game, they're like a door you pass through with the push of a button, but narratively they're like a barrier. That's not exactly part of that reality. The character wouldn't perceive that barrier in the same way that you or I looking at the screen perceive that barrier. Like when you walk into a boss room, now there's fog behind you that keeps you from leaving the boss room. Narratively saying that you have to face this. Anyways, enough talking about Dark Souls. But maybe he has to face this. Like he's going from this world of unformed ideas into the human instrumentality of his own making. Like we're transitioning from the beginning of the episode, this cold, gray, unformed world to the more concrete, but almost no less abstract theater setting that we get to. Because more than anything else, even if it's, you know, maybe it's not genius. Maybe it is something that was just thrown together at the last minute because they needed to conclude the series or Anno needed to get something done. But the density of the dialogue and the the abstractness, it's like a grindstone that you can put your mind to. It's not necessarily about the content itself. It's about what questions it brings up in your mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these don't tell me anything. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My outline is so ineffective right now. But we go on to, so Shinji starts to kind of work through his, some of his issues. He comes to this conclusion that piloting the Ava is a good thing because it helps people and that's when Asuka, or at least the idea of Asuka, shows up to kind of combat that narrative. Like, mm -hmm. are you sure that it's because you're helping people? Or is it because it makes you feel good? Look, it's fine if you have a selfish reason for saving the world. But don't pretend to others, and especially don't pretend to yourself, that you don't have one. Don't pretend it's all altruistic. It's okay to want something for yourself. Yeah. And, and there is this kind of like paradox of altruism where in some ways we're probably kind of like wired to be altruistic, right? Mm. Humans as a species, like we get pleasure from, yeah, like people liking us and things like that, right? We're these like social creatures. And so we're like not really doing this necessarily to help people in some high-minded way, but just that like, we feel good by being useful and helpful and we're still getting something out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we get Asuka or we focus on Asuka next Asuka's case number two and Asuka, we mostly focus on her parental issues and just want that really quick. So I think we have kind of like Shinji Asuka Ray, and then we have this like title screen instrumentality begins and then we have like Misato, Asuka, forget, yeah, I guess Shinji at the end. So I don't know if like this stage is kind of like something has started, like we're in this foggy in-between place 
where like weird things are happening. And then like, once we see that title card, then it's like, okay, now it's like full instrumentality. And now it's just like people sitting in blackness or whatever. Oh, yeah. They're sitting in blackness with spotlights on them, like a stage that hasn't been completely lit or a show that's already in progress. And we as the viewers, we're just in the audience. Wow. You're brilliant. (laughs) We go through Asuka's case and we get to Ray's. And I thought Ray really succinctly described the concept of identity. Like it, as adults, it seems like a very easy thing to be like, oh, this is what identity is. It's, you know, how you identify and how people kind of perceive you. That's part of it. But Ray says it in a very descriptive manner. She says that the experiences I've had relating to other people that's identity. And it's built over time. It's something that shifts and focuses as you go through time. It, it's not a concrete thing, right? Hey, you change as you go. Mm-hmm. But she went really dark with it. She said <laughs> the object known as Ray Ayanami. Does she not consider herself human? Mm. Or do any of them like not consider themselves human? Well, she's a very special case. You know, everybody's got a different idea what a soul is. So... Until we can agree on that, we can't really say what the difference is between a human soul and a, like an angel soul or, or a seed of life soul. Mm. So Ray is different. It's just hard to define in what way she's different. Is it experientially? Is it an energy field she has? Man, Ray is so cool. What did you just say about, she describes herself as an object? She doesn't say, I am Ray Ayanami. She says, I'm the object referred to as Ray Ayanami. Like she's a piece of machinery, like or, or a tool. And it even comes off that way too when Gendo shows up to, to get her and he says, hey, it's time. It's time for you to do that thing that I made you for. Mm. She does, it seems like she doesn't consider herself like a person. This is what I am, but I'm not like anything else but this. Or at least the ability to see herself that way, yeah. uh, indicating at least a certain level of detachment from her own experience. Right. Hmm. And we don't know if that's a, a, a byproduct of the, the cloning process, that it's not the first body that this soul, this consciousness has inhabited. Oh, I think we know it's not the first body. Oh, sure, 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 yeah. sure. <laughs> I think we know. <laughs> we get these lovely watercolored splashes, these like Rorschach test, uh, almost child's drawings, uh, while she's talking about what she fears like in herself. And I wondered if that was, I don't know, somehow symbolic of her inhumanity. Like the colorful images are really some manifestation of what separates her from humanity, uh, uh, from her peers. Yeah, it seems like she doesn't really, like she says starting off uh, when she was created that she she longed to go back to the void. That she was, she was only here to like do this task for Gendel and then once it was done, she could go back to where she came from. She's, she's Mr. Meeksy's. Existence is pain to a Meeksy's, Jerry! <laughs> but then she says, like, while she's been alive and conscious and doing things, she's established, like, links to people. So that feeling of wanting to go back to the void, like, she knows she's, eventually she's going to go back to the void, but I don't think she wants to anymore. Mm. The ray that we have now wants to survive. Like a Mr. Meeseeks that like finds human connection. Yeah. And now is pulled in two different directions. Like the desire to not exist and the desire to keep up these connections with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that is there's kind of like a Freudian concept of that too, of this like death drive that, that we kind of have these this fear of death, but also this like fear of of life, you know, in the same way that maybe some of that stuff with Misato and her dad is very like Freudian in this episode. I think this is electric complex. I feel like. Mm. Sorry, what what complex? It's called the electric complex. It's the woman version of the uh, Oedipus complex. Mm. Okay, uh, uh, Gendo shows up, and then we examine. I think that's when the cut happens, and we go through, or we get that awesome title card that Ben mentioned, and then we focus on Misato. Mm-hmm. Really, the core question of Misato is how she really feels and whether she's lying to herself. We seem to be kind of sifting through her motivations, Mm -hmm. why she likes Kaji, why, and how she beats herself up. Yeah, and and 
So because, okay, so this is like right after instrumentality happens, right? So mm-hmm. supposedly everyone's souls are merging or something like that. So, so I guess I'm wondering if maybe it's like, this is her resistance to that or her fears or like kind of what's stopping her from being authentic all the time with these people is, is kind of like this idea of if I did really like share my like thoughts, people would like her. Would Yeah. Would like, if I'm honest with myself that like Kaji reminds me of my dad, would everyone think that I'm like a huge fucking weirdo? <laughs> <laughs> no, it does feel like that. Like you said, they're all like melded together. So the walls that she puts up, all that stuff that she like tries to hide from people, there's there's nothing stopping it now. Like she freaks out when, what I imagine is Shinji seeing some of her memories, like her with Kaji, and she says mm-hmm. she doesn't want Shinji to see like that part of her. Like I think she's like very guarded. Mm-hmm. The image she puts out, you know what I'm saying, is like what she puts out, but like who she really is is like totally different. She doesn't want anyone to see the real her. She thinks it's ugly. Yeah. That is something like we all do as people, right? Like we have these things that everyone keeps private from everyone else. And that's just kind of like the way we do it. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you're right. But she specifically, like Masato has allegorically throughout the show, along with Ritsuko, have shown us like the difference between... Yeah, uh, uh, female internal experiences and the expectations that society has placed on them. She does not like dressing up. She does not like putting on her uniform uh, and showing up for work that way. She would much rather have a drink whenever she needs one. She would much rather be in a sweatshirt or whatever she likes to wear. And I guess, yeah, you're right. This is like the final breakdown. The walls have come down and now there is very little separating how she wants to be and how she presents herself to the world. Mm -hmm. It is weird to think back of like her in the apartment and that like, like the music (laughs) playing, like drinking a beer. And now like 25 episodes later, like we're here and it's like, what the fuck happened? (laughs) (laughs) And she, she likes sex, right? And this is a, a, a major sticking point for her. Because I guess you're not supposed to. uh, That's pretty common in society. Not as a woman. Yeah, right? Uh, uh, Not just in Japanese society, right? In American society and like all around the globe, it's still thought of as counterculture for a woman to express her own sexuality confidently. That might be why they put that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It was mid-bite anyway, but what I was going to say was (laughs) we also see that in a lot of mainstream media, right? We see male pleasure but we don't ever see women blood you know the pleasure that women receive so like in sexing and stuff like that so i think that kind of goes in hand in hand with those societal expectations that women can't like sex um that's that's a male thing oh you're right like i think that's why they put that uh that part with the younger her saying i have to be a good girl Mm -hmm. i have to like you know i'm saying so daddy will will be home like more but i wonder if that's like something like she hears all the time like that's something she's just constantly telling herself like i have to be a good girl yeah i have to behave like people need to view me like this and not like you know i'm saying the person that i actually am which is fucked i like massage (laughs) yeah she's wonderful Uh, and you're right, like, it's something that she tells herself constantly, and we saw a visual representation of that. Uh, we saw that childhood shot of her, and then when she starts talking about how she needs to be a good girl for the first time, we see the shot of her framed as kind of a photograph with some creases, and then it keeps going back to that photograph, and every time we go back, there's more creases. Mm. And tape on it, yeah. Yeah, and so we're, we're slowly coming up to this manifestation of that conflict that we're witnessing where everything breaks down like there's no going back you have to confront not the identity yeah the perception that you want to project to other people and your internal life like i know it seems kind of like i'm going around in circles yeah and and kind of another part of like you know she was i have to be a good girl but then she's also like but i don't want to be like my mom my mom it's like my mom is unhappy all the time so it's kind of like maybe she doesn't really have a model of how to be a woman or like, you know, how to be an adult. I don't know how that connects with the rest of it. But but maybe that's like, like a lot of this is about people who are 
like either have absent parents or dead parents or whatever and then kind of like shitty role models yeah like yeah like the the kind of like trauma of that and then how that like manifests as them as teenagers or adults or whatever Maybe that's uh the the core component that or character feature that um all of the main characters share is absent parentage uh Masato Ritsuko uh Shinji Rei Masato at least all five of them have very deep-seated parental issues yeah and, it, and it's kind of like and like one parent who's dead and then the other parent who you know maybe because of that death or for other reasons is kind of like inadequate or <laughs> shitty or yeah they're unable to provide the support to the child that they really should because they are unable to deal with their own grief and you know like put the blame on the parents more than the kid because what can the kid do but also kind of put the blame on society because obviously that parent is not getting they didn't get the emotional support or the emotional tools when they were a kid that they need to deal with this now actually ken kensuke and toji too right they're both parentless yeah they're both missing a parent man Toji's mom. Yeah, Toji's mom is gone. Kensuke's mom is gone. Toji almost lost his sister. God, so much loss in this show. Oh, and that shot where we assume that Shinji is observing somehow Kaji and Masato's intercourse. Uh, We also get train sounds in the background, which kind of combines Shinji's two main interests, sex and train. (laughs) And now I'm never going to think about the rhythm of a train the same way again. So thanks for that, Anno. So Masato's kind of unsure of her feelings for Kaji. She goes back and forth about whether it was pure unbridled joy or whether it was simultaneously a way to like feel closer to her father and to get back at the memory of him at the same time. But hey, at least, you know, all that shitty stuff that Kaji did, at least surface level performatively in life, there's none of that in human instrumentality. The way that Masato or maybe Shinji imagines him to be is pretty much just supportive. So cool turnaround for Kaji. Likes me some Kaji. As we went along, some of the title cards, the, the responses or questions in title cards were in brackets. Most of them were not. I didn't have any. Uh, it's just something I noticed, but I couldn't qualify it with anything did anybody have any thoughts on why some of them would be in brackets why some of them wouldn't is it a bracket with like um either the bottom or the top is missing oh i have Um, no idea just because that so japanese quotations they kind of look like brackets oh my gosh you just solved the mystery for me (laughs) because sometimes in uh jrpgs that's how they do yeah yeah it's kind of like a top left corner of a box and then bottom right on the oh that's brilliant what a cool way to do it let's start doing that now no more regular quotation marks for us (laughs) yeah uh the last thing we get from masato is a line of mostly women characters telling her that she's lewd or inappropriate and then the last person we get funnily enough is the glasses tech we had kind of gotten hints that maybe something was going on between the two of them more than them just trusting each other on the job site. And this kind of solidified it to me, like maybe that was her last lover. Like, I don't know if they consummated or, or if their feelings or relationship manifested in a physical format, but it wasn't just the glasses tech having a crush on her. Like after Kaji's demise something started up between the two of them and i guess she even feels guilty about that what makes you say that or he, he says congratulations on the promotion i know that part of <laughs> yeah. said he congratulated but no no, no I, I definitely feel you on the whole they might have like fucked at one point or he <laughs> wanted to and maybe it didn't happen or they went out on a date once so I was thinking the same thing for a minute. Like, did something happen between them? Was he like a like a side piece that she like they hooked up <laughs> once? You know what I'm saying? After like a, a, a an outing, and then never hooked up again. And it, he caught feelings, and she didn't. It is a weird thing to say in that context. Like, is it almost like, oh, you got that like promotion by like sleeping with someone or something like that? Or yeah, the implication. Yeah, the implication <laughs> because of the implication. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just this feeling I get that. It wasn't just a one-sided thing, that there was some sort of interaction between the two of them. Probably physical. I imagine sexual. But maybe I just want to live in a world where more people 
are having consensual pleasurable sex. <laughs> uh, is it consensual if she's his boss? Ooh, power dynamic. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, I don't actually want you to answer that. <laughs> it happened as she told him to shut up. Like, don't ever, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm sure he's pretty indispensable, you know? I, I think he... They can't fire him. No, they can't fire any of the three main techs. Impossible. Okay, but that does create a power dynamic difference between the two of them. Damn it. So then we spend some more time with Asuka. There's this shot of this monkey doll she has at one point. There's a really cool shot that I don't think we got in the previous episodes of it rupturing. Uh-huh. The, the stuffing in it exploding out. I thought that was really, I don't know, a, a great visual representation or manifestation of the unhealed hurt with inside of her. As we see her later, and we might, I don't remember if we get shots of the monkey doll again, but it's been sewn up, but that wound has never healed. Like the stuffing yeah. is still okay. pouring out of her uh, every time she becomes, she feels emotionally unstable. There's not enough like scarring to really losing the metaphor but yeah, yeah yeah it's never really healed yeah and i guess so she again talks about this like concept of being a good girl and mm-hmm. like so misato's was like kind of because her dad is gone and her mom needs support but asuka's is more like fear of abandonment like she has mm-hmm. to be good because she's afraid that she's the reason that i guess her biological mom is like depressed and wants to commit suicide and then she's afraid that her stepmom is going to leave her mm. yeah i thought i thought her mom committed suicide because of the father because his mom yeah Asuka's mom she's in an institution for mm. we don't know exactly how long she participates in a contact experiment in germany with ava o2 that causes her like i don't know her mind was open to eldritch knowledge i guess so like she goes crazy uh, or unhinged, and Asuka's father commits her to an asylum, and that's where he met his second wife, who was his first wife's doctor. And then she eventually kills herself. She mostly talks about, or at least the things she says are that, like, she wants to be with Asuka. And so that's the only way she can think to do it, is to kill herself and to bring Asuka along. But I found that, I thought that Asuka was kind of pulled in two directions. And I felt myself that way before in the throes of depression. Uh, Somebody hurts you and so you say, you think to yourself, that's fine. I'll just stop. I'll just stop interacting with people and that way nobody can disappoint me again. Or when I do have to interact with people, I'll just keep my expectations as low as possible so that no one will ever hurt me again. But as you distance yourself more and more, well, obviously people want less and less to do with you. If they're compassionate, if they're close to you, if they're strong emotionally, then they will try to reach out, but you know, do you bite their hand uh, as they try to help you or as you just don't respond to those things, people will start to leave. And it creates this internal conflict inside of a depressed person of wanting to be alone, you know, in order to avoid hurt, but not wanting to be alone, you know, wanting the exact opposite things at simultaneous time, which is a maddening experience. Yeah. In that way, I thought she was almost exactly like Shinji, more than I ever realized. And maybe her experience is just more universal than I ever realized, that everyone seems to have these internal conflicts. Uh, maybe that's just how the human brain works. Yeah. And then we get to the auditorium, right? We have our climax and we have this interesting phrasing, but like this kind of non-answer. We are like, okay, all right. We have a setting. We're in a theater. What the fuck is going on? And all we get is, oh, well, instrumentality. This is what you wished for, Shinji. And that's true. He did wish at some point for everyone to be dead, right? Yeah. But he took it back. Oh, so there again, we have this internal conflict where he really wanted to be alone, to be the only person around. But that real aloneness is something unbearable. So you keep striving towards what you think you want, but as you get closer and closer to it, you end up uh, wanting the other thing. I mean, that's kind of universal human experience, right? Like the thing you have slowly loses its impact over time just because of like the seemingly universal law of diminishing returns. And so anything you're distant from, you start to want that more. Hmm. What if there's like a survival mechanism behind that? Uh, so we 
did get a line. I wish I had written down the whole thing, but the a couple of lines seem to symbolize Anno's predicament. They say something about like, this is one way it could be. This is what your father Gendo, which is Anno in some senses, what he's been working on, what we've been leading up to. And this is one way it could be going. I guess simultaneously we're looking at, or we're at least they're hinting at a myriad of possibilities, but this being the specific form that Anno chose at this point in the process, because I don't know, he's up against a wall. He couldn't think of another way to resolve it. Uh, Maybe he just loves theater imagery. Like I sure fucking do. There's one shot that we get uh, towards the end where they show just a piece of spike tape, two pieces of silver tape on the uh, stage in kind of a T. And that would denote where someone would uh, place themselves Mm. for a particular scene or a particular start of a performance. I seem to remember something about a cello in the finale, but I assume that that spike mark is waiting for Shinji to take his place for the performance. That's interesting. Something I'm thinking of too, when you talk about like, you know, this is your father's design and and Gendo or whatever, is, is sometimes you hear like authors talking about characters kind of like disobeying them or something like that. That, and in kind of going back to this idea of like, you have these representations of all the people you know inside of your mind that, you know, maybe in the same way as like a creative, creating a story like this, in some ways you're like creating these like simulations of these characters. And sometimes authors talk about like, you know, they want to steer a story in some direction, but they just like can't make the character plausibly do the things that they want them to do. Like it feels like off to this like character that they've created. So then they're like, either they have to like go back and like fundamentally change a bunch of things about the character, but that's really hard because they like are this person that they're imagining now. So oftentimes they'll have to like change the ending of the story to fit with this character that's kind of like living inside their mind. Yeah. So it could be that kind of like Otto being like, you fuck Shinji, this is, you You made me do this. <laughs> I wanted you to just like fight a giant robot, but like you wouldn't do it. And now this is where we are. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And it, it hints at this, yeah, just like we were talking about characters and like individual human beings uh, being pulled in two different directions. This is how we talked about this on the last episode that we recorded. Uh, that's how dialectics works. The idea of two opposing forces and the collapse of those two forces being the answer or the, the resolution of the process. And so Anno, like this ending, the series itself would not be what it is without those monetary constraints, without seal the council corporate breathing down his neck like the fact that it's a transcendent work isn't just Anno's brilliance it's not just the animators and the voice actors wonderfulness it's that friction it's that conflict of being two pulled in two different directions that causes a transcendence hmm. and the theater is just like I said I love theater imagery because it's a kind of theater background but it very specifically shows you certain things. Like it shows you a couple of the backstage workings, specifically the the uh, uh, the rigs, the ropes, mm-hmm. and the lights. Uh, the lights, I thought, implied all of the different perspectives that we could be showing. Like each one of those lights could be a different lens, a different person that we're highlighting. But instead, they're not all on. We don't get a full array of lights lighting up the stage. All we get is one or two, maybe three at a time. They're all spotlights from above. They're very focused and really narrow, like Mm -hmm. showing us the narrowness of any story, really, because you can't, you know, unless we're going to do like Rashomon, where we take four different perspectives and follow all of those so that we get more of the truth of the story, not just one person's perspective, like we're gonna have to narrow what we focus on. And the other thing was, it's a bare empty theater, right? Except for Shinji and Masato. And I don't think even Masato got a chair. Yeah. Symbolizing that he's like 
the true audience that's mm-hmm. taking in this performance. Um, or maybe he's the judge that will resolve uh, or make a decision at the end of the performance. But we also see one door and that door is very clearly labeled an exit. And so like, maybe that's an invitation to the audience. Like, hey, this is a crazy ride. We are doing weird things. And there's one episode left. It's going to get stranger. So, hey, it's a green lit exit. Like, it's okay to go out here. Like, if you feel like this is not for you, that's okay. I hope you've enjoyed the show thus far. And maybe that's just a tiny visual apology to anyone who is expecting more giant fights, more robots, more monsters. Or that Shinji has options. Like, they did say this is one way things can play out. You can either go with this or dip out and we can try another one. Like, he's choosing how this all ends. Like, kind of like building his own heaven. It does feel a lot like Purgatory, doesn't it? Yeah. Did you say building his own heaven? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love you, Brilliant, Nate. wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> building your own heaven because heaven is not a physical place. It's where you reside in your mind. Mm-hmm. Heaven or hell, it's all about perspective. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> Alex, you'd mentioned one of the theater details was like they showed some like ropes and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't have, sorry, I didn't have like a strong thesis statement for that. <laughs> So so something I was thinking, and I had to like Google this to see if there would be anything there, but there is that term like deus ex machina, which I think Mm -hmm. comes from ancient theater, right? And that's kind of like, it's something that comes out of nowhere in this story, but in ancient Mm -hmm. theater, it was often like a god Mm -hmm. would be like hoisted down on ropes or something like that. So I don't know if that could be- Oh, yeah. Kind of like acknowledging that like, this is like a deus ex machina ending or something like that, or if they're playing with that, since they already have all these like religious themes. Uh, That's a really strong characterization. And it actually goes with, as I was reviewing that, I didn't have any more thoughts on the rope because I think you put it so succinctly, but we also get to see flats. Uh, Flats are usually used in theater uh, as background scenery, right? But we don't see the side you normally see as an audience, like what you're supposed to see from the theater. We see the back of the flat, which has markings on it, like this side forward. It's in Japanese, so I don't know what it says, but telling us that we're no longer in the position we were in before as an audience. Mm. We are now seeing not quite the stage show and not quite a documentary on the making of it. We're somewhere in between. We're seeing the backside of the scenery. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. And I have one last question. If you had to say what you thought the emptiness of the theater represented, what would you say? All right. This is just going to be me free associating, but, uh, You know, we all live our lives for these other people. We're like constantly worried about judgment and whatever. But in the end, like we're the person that cares the most about our own life. And um, there's not really like an audience out there. Whoa. Okay, I've got another one. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, we're worried about a lot of people live worried about God or some religious judgment. But again, maybe there's not that thing out there watching and judging. Brilliant. Any other thoughts? Any other takes? I think maybe it's because uh, like the theater's empty because Shinji's supposed to be the only audience member. Like this is his world and everyone else is performing in it. Kind of like how you're the main character in your own story and everyone Mm -hmm. is playing a a side part in your story, but you're also playing the side part in everyone else's story. Uh, And this is just his point of view, him uh, looking from the outside at his own point of view. And he's deciding whether do I want to keep this or say, fuck it. Well, like a real disassociative moment yeah. of like looking back at your own life and being like, well, I have a vantage point. So like I have some emotional distance. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. With Both you. excellent answers. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Anything else they want to talk about in this episode? <laughs> Just a bad shitty thought that abused me which is that if we do get recordings of people talking about the show can we also get them going congratulations and clapping their hands oh my god congratulations and and make a segment that's like thanks for listening all the way through this podcast congratulations (laughs) Congratulations. you're a superstar (laughs) 
I don't know. I wrote down fun facts because <laughs> I didn't know what notes to write down. Um, I've been watching like weird YouTube videos on Evangelion. Yeah, any insights? All right. So I watched the movie, End of Evangelion. We can get into mm-hmm. I, I can I can talk about this just a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I just want to say Asuka is the MVP of Evangelion as a whole. I wasn't thinking about it before. Like before I was just like, oh, she's just this really mean chick who's <laughs> who's who's in the show. But no, she is the MVP. When it comes down to it, like at the end where like they need someone to like jump in and like step their game up, it's not Shinji. It's her. Mm-hmm. This is why I say fuck Shinji a lot. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they needed him, but he was, like, whiny, and he does something really weird in that movie. Um, and I'm not sure what I saw, but um, it, was, it, was, it was really fucking weird. Uh, you guys are laughing. I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about so, this with yeah. uh, Brian in an earlier episode, yeah. maybe in the spoiler section. Yeah, I watched that movie. What the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> Why was that? Why did it, it? It was. It wasn't even necessary. But no, Asuka like came through, and she like she came through like a boss. Like she, she mm-hmm. was wrecking like those angels who look badass. By the way, they kind of look like oh, the mass production Avas. Yeah, they kind of look like weird sperm whales. With uh, I love the way they land. The the, the little they fold into each other. Like it was. I don't know. That movie was fucking dope. Like it just looks cool. It's very cool, and they had a much higher budget and a much longer production oh, time to get it, it done. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that was my whole thing. Like the way it, the way the show ends, feels like they had plans for something else to follow, but they either like lost money and just stopped. It kind of ended like Firefly. Like you knew there was more to come, but you didn't get it. Um, which I can understand why people didn't like the ending so much. But the movie is freaking dope. Ben, uh, the train thing I was talking about, I, I brought it before. There's this weird... I pointed this to you, Alex. I, I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yeah. So there's this theory that the third impact, if it had happened, it would have been a big reset button. And by doing that, Shinji like, caused a uh, uh, not one, like multiple universes where like different shit happened. Uh, instead of just like, there's one where like Shin, uh, Shinji is normal. He goes to school. His mom is still alive. Uh, Gendo is like an actual like dad who's present. Then there's one with like the uh, storyline that veers off with the video games. But there's crossovers, and one of them uh, is this anime about trains that turn into giant mechs. Uh, and this kid who like pilots one, uh, and he fights this uh, this thing that looks like a bunch of angels fused into one. Um, but he's losing. He's getting his ass kicked. And just when he's about to lose, the he hears another train like whistling off in the distance, and the Evangelion it's like whistling the Evangelion music, and it's the O one like as a train, and it like pops up and transforms and starts kicking the thing's ass, like it's yeah. What? So apparently the 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 this like they've been <laughs> they've been putting like Evangelion in like everything. So this is just another guy next. I don't I don't I don't know. I think just other people were using it. I guess the show was like super popular because at one point they were using it to sell women's underwear. Uh, uh, there was a juice <laughs> of some sort. Uh, there's the Godzilla crossover, but that's because uh, Anno did uh, Shin Godzilla. Uh, there's also a Transformers crossover where the Autobots team up with uh, Nerve to stop Starscream, who fused within Ava. Okay. Yeah. Like like Ava proliferating itself across the the fiction verse. Oh yeah, but I don't think it's an actual series. I think it's like uh, it's kind of like the Shin Godzilla thing, where it's like a series of toys and probably like mini comics. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh really liked what you said about Asuka at the beginning because uh, uh, certified boss. I, like she she runs through and does wreck shit. Like, right, she's a certified boss. But what she said about like, oh, I just thought she was this really mean girl. Well, yes, she's a really mean girl. But like, no one is mean in a vacuum. Just like Ray said, like, the experiences you've had up to this point are what make you what you are. Yeah. Like, yeah, every time you find someone who's a total fucking asshole, well, that person is a victim of trauma somewhere in their past. Absolutely. You need Evangelion, the prequel... The Anno stories. Ooh, we gotta write that. That's our new project, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver, any 
Any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to just dish about? Any? It was definitely more exciting to watch it this time around with the knowledge and experiences that I have personally, just kind of look at this from you know, a psychological perspective, uh, a philosophical perspective. And it was a much better experience, I would say. And especially, you know, to experience it with you guys. I mean, yeah, I've only been here for two episodes, but the conversation that we just had, like the, the dissection afterwards, it's there's a lot more depth to it than I probably would have even picked out before. Now it makes me really kind of want to explore the other series and movies because I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen anything other than Magic Yeah, same with me. I'm curious to to dive into the the movies and stuff. Especially when Nathaniel's like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. When he's like, should you do some weird shit? Just should you do some weird shit? I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. It's also <laughs> super. It's also super violent. Like all the the blood and and fucking murder that you would want like towards like the end of the show. Like that bite, that battle that you wanted, you got it. You got a lot of it. They did not hold back. And if you, it's weird. So in my line of work, they teach you like what to do in like an active shooter situation. So you kind of get an idea of like what's happening. And then you see the, like watching the movie, that's exactly, that's what it felt like. Like it felt like they were in like an active shooter situation. They're trying to react. Like he did his research. Like everyone's reacting like the way they're supposed to. Like the security personnel are acting the way they're supposed to. Uh, yeah like trying to get people like pulled back you know what i'm saying and then what they're telling people like you know what i'm saying like run you know what i'm saying and if you can't run hide and if you can't hide fight you know and like you mm. see people like in that situation and you see the panic like it's not just like oh like people are just oh it's it's fucked up it is really fucked up watch the movie watch the movie it is fantastic okay. all right <laughs> lots more trauma to come folks yeah. okay cool well, this has been a joy uh, again. Uh, we we learned about mullets. We learned about uh, <laughs> dialectical theory. We learned about, this has been a really wonderful episode. Thank you so much for being here. Nate, thank you, Oliver, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And do you, either of you want to plug anything or do you have any recommendations for next the episode that never ends, right? When you think it's ending. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this is my last ask, I promise. Uh, same as last time. You can find me on Instagram, uh, art by midnight, art underscore by underscore midnight. Midnight spelled M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Um, I'm working on some Hollow Knight-like fan art that should be up soon. So awesome. be on the lookout. And anything for you to plug, Oliver? I mean, aside from my plants, no, that's it. Okay, you're just personally <laughs> awesome. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, let's do our sign off, and then everyone's free to go. This has been a joy. Pen. Pen. House. Pie. 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 All right. Pie. Thanks, guys. Yes. <laughs>